0: Video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube.
1: Hey, folks, welcome to Raising Equity. On today's episode, I'm talking to a friend, a colleague, and, and now a, an author. And I'm so excited to have Britt Hawthorne with us. So Britt Hawthorne is an anti-racist educator, teacher, speaker, visionary, and advocate who's committed to raising a generation of anti-racist children by centering families of the global majority and fostering equitable learning environments for students and children, children of all ages and backgrounds. Welcome to Raising Equity, Britt.
0: Thank you so much, Kira, for having me on. I'm a longtime listener, um, and it's wonderful to be back on the show. Um, I know Tiffany and I were on uh, probably two years ago now, and so it's wonderful to have me back.
1: Can you believe it? When those memories pop up on Facebook, I'm like, that feels like last week and like last lifetime at the same time,
0: at the same time. (laughs) Isn't time so interesting the way like there's time our body experiences it, but then there's time and the way we like keep track of it on a calendar.
1: Yeah, it's wild. I mean, it, it really is. I don't know if you well, like we're totally dishing. If you watch This Is Us, do you watch This Is Us at all? I don't think I watch this as okay, just because it's a show that it plays with time. Like sometimes you're like, wait, are we present day? Are we the past? Or and it shows how how things that happened, you know, in the past are connected to the present. That that like two people might not even know that their paths yeah. crossed in a way to impact them. And I just say all that to say, yes, like this way in which time is 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 linear, but not and in this time of covid it just feels so compressed in some ways and elongated it's a it feels like a contradiction constant but we did not we really actually listeners did not come on the show to talk about time <laughs> time <laughs> but you know it's relevant um i i want to start off actually in grounding us in your newest project in the book that i'm so honored that you asked me to be a part of um but just like regardless of if i were a part of it just excited for you because Your presence on IG, on Patreon, on the web in terms of like touching families beyond where you are is so impressive. And so I just want to give you kudos. Like, I love Uh, the way you incorporate like authenticity, information, engagement. And so folks, if you haven't checked out Britt Hawthorne's content, you need to.
0: Why, thank you. That means a lot coming from you. Um... It really, really does. And absolutely, when I was starting to write the book, I immediately knew I wanted it to be the way that I parent my my children. And that's like a very collective communal act. Um, And so it was like, how do I create space in the book for the folks that I truly am listening to and learning from when like, who are the folks that I'm constantly citing? Who are the folks that I'm constantly also seeking out the information that they're sharing? so I could re-parent myself. Um, so I'm just so excited that you said yes to being a contributing author. Um, and I think it'd be really nice. Can we jump in and can I read your section of the book? Do you mind?
1: No, I don't mind at all. I'd be honored. But make sure you give okay. folks the you know title so they can find it, where they can find it, all that good stuff.
0: Yes. Okay. So the uh, the title of the book is Raising Anti-Racist Children. It's a practical parenting guide. I wrote the book and I have a co-author, Natasha Iglesias, who was originally my editor turned co-author because she is so incredible. Um, and when you pick up the book, it's out on June 7th. Right when you go to open the book, the very first section is going to be defining our understanding. And I really want everyone to read that section kind of no matter where you're at in your anti-racist journey, um, because that's where I will define the words that I'm going to be using throughout the text. And so I'm defining words like people of the global majority, white domination. I talk about why I use the phrase white immunity over white privilege, especially working with children. And when you pick up your copy, then you're going to go right onto page 23 where Um, We start off and Dr. Kira Banks is our very first contributing author. Oh, I know. I'm like, oh, it's exciting. Uh, Okay, so your piece called Responding with Truth. This will be your first time like hearing your piece. Yeah. So I'm like going to look up to see your reaction. Um, I said, I've invited Dr. Kira Banks, one of my parenting partners, to share how she centers the truth when discussing racist experiences with her children. Oppression tells us lies about who we are. These inaccurate messages are byproducts of systemic racism and can get picked up or appropriated through interactions, media, and the education system. You might've heard it referred to as internalized racism. I prefer talking about these lies as something that can be picked up rather than something that's inside of me because it's easier to put something down than to extract it. Appropriated racial oppression. The extent to which people of the global majority accept the dominant group's idea that people of the global majority are subordinate, inferior, and deficient. Appropriated racial superiority is the extent to which white people accept their group's ideas that white people are dominant, superior, and natural leaders. Kids can understand these ideas as soon as they can understand the story. As young as preschool, they notice who's seen as good, bad, smart, nice, and naughty. They watch scenes unfold in living rooms, playrooms, classrooms, and on screens. It's important for us as adults to be proactive and counter these inner inaccurate messages. One way we can interrupt the appropriation of these stories is by naming the myths and lies as they come up around us. We can notice, question, and challenge them together. For example, One day, my nine-year-old had a baseball game. His team had several black and brown boys, and the other team was all white. After the game, one little white boy refused to high-five the black and brown boys on our team. When talking with my son, I reminded him that some white people had picked up the idea that they were better than black people. This little boy might have been taught that black people were not worthy of his high-five. That's a lie, and it's sad he learned that. I said. His actions say nothing about you and a lot about the ideas he has picked up. Research supports the idea that helping kids understand racism can help them not personalize it. My son did not dwell on whether he deserved the discrimination. He understood it was the other boy's problem rather than accepting the burden of feeling inferior as a result of the discrimination. Next time you notice a myth or lie that says one group is better or deficient simply because of their race, name it. That's not accurate. Did you hear that? It's like saying being white is better or makes a person more deserving. That's not true. When we name the myths and lies of racism, we help them have less we help them have less of a hold on us. We put them down. We stop appropriating them, which frees us from some of the personal baggage of racism. Being clear about how these myths and lies show up and resisting them can make coming together to do the bigger systems work of dismantling racism a tad bit easier. Dr. Kira Binks.
1: Oh, thank you so much for sharing that with us. I remember writing that and thinking like that nine-year-old is now 15. And like, gosh, maybe I should revisit and see if he even remembers that moment. You know, like I think Mm -hmm. as adults and as parents, um, like are those moments matter so much, right? And at the same time, I also feel like I find myself telling parents like don't stress every word, like just be present. Just be present with your kid, be real, be honest, be authentic, and if we can do that over time, I think they get the gist of what we're sharing. And so, yeah, yeah. thank you for letting me letting me share that personal story and just the framing. That uh, I now have actually like empirical research that shows that 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 attitude of like thinking of it or the framing of it, of it as appropriated and like being able to put it up, put it down. That we have some research where I created a protocol where we help people create distance between themselves and that content. So essentially, like put it down, make it further apart from who they are and that that improves our mental health.
0: I believe it so Back in October, a kind of similar situation happened to Kobe, our now nine-year-old. Gosh. And so he was in his working triad at school, and it's him and two other children. And so on um, that evening, we were eating pizza around the dinner table. And he said, oh, yeah, Mom, Lily told me I didn't belong in our triad. And I was like, oh, why'd she say that? Now, little backstory, Kobe and Lily are friends. I hear about Lily all the time, and also I used to teach Lily's older brother. So I kinda know this family. So the farthest thing in my mind was what Kobe was about to say. And he said, well, I asked her and she said, it was because I was black. And I said, hmm, then what did you say? And he goes, I just told her that was racist. And Lily asked me, what's racist? And I said, when you mistreat someone because the color of their skin, that's racism. And so Lily just kind of shrugged her shoulders. And I said, what did you do? And Kobe said, I got my things. And I got up and I went back to my desk and I worked the rest of the time at my desk. And mind you, Kobe seemed pretty unbothered by the whole situation. Um, and he just was like, yeah, I just, you know, she said that. And I said, OK, we went out about dinner. And then around bedtime, I brought it back up. I said, hey, I want to talk about what happened in your triad. And I want you to know that what Lily told you was actually a really old lie. And it goes something like this. And I use some of the language that you have, you know, that uh, brown and black people can't go somewhere or can't do something because of color of their skin. Um, And that lie just keeps getting told. And I said, I don't know where Lily picked that up, but I do hope Lily puts that back down. Right. So like I even like used that language and um, with talking to Kobe and I said, what can I do to help? Mm. Um, I said, do you want me to talk to your teacher? And he was like, yeah. I said, did you tell your teacher? And he was like, nope. And I asked him why. He said, well, I solved it. I told her she was being racist and I removed myself. Love it. And I was like, <laughs> OK, that was great. Kobe was like, what else is there to say? And I was like, oh, OK, well, that was a good point. <laughs> So I said, well, I will email your teacher so your teacher can work with Lily to put that back down. Because I wanted them to know it's not your job. Yeah. Right? Like, you don't have to then, like, have to have a one-on-one with Lily. And there doesn't have to be a restorative conversation, especially if you don't feel harmed. Just as you said, it was really, like, that was Lily's problem. And Lily needs to work to put it down. Yeah, like hopefully so email, gets that figured out. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I got my work done. So I emailed the teacher, and the teacher was like, "Thank you so much for letting me know." Um, she's like, "I'm gonna facilitate some conversations and all of that." What was interesting is a week later, Lily's mom did reach out over Facebook and was like, "Hey, I think my child said something hurtful to your child, and if you know what I'm talking about, could you let me know?" And I emailed back and was like, yep, I do. And then she's like, you know, I'm so sorry. We're going to get books. We're going to like have really honest conversations. I don't know where Lily picked this up. And I have to be honest. I mean, I've parents. I mean, I taught their, their older child for three years and I don't know where Lily picked that up. And I think that's also important, as you had said in your piece, children are learning all the time even if we have one explicit conversation with our chi- with our child it's not enough right it has to be ongoing conversations and i like the fact that in both
1: your story and mine i want people to notice that we didn't lambast the child the pa- the parents the family the community right like it's on un- we we did hold them accountable like that is a lie that they picked up we hope they put it down because it's not true right but we didn't say that they were a bad person, that their parents were bad people, um, because I, what I've learned is that my kids pick up a whole lot. I knew this, but to see your kids pick it up from the media. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and I understand developmentally, my children are 12 and 15. And so developmentally, it is appropriate for us to be less of the center of their world as parents. And they're starting to turn outwards. They're adolescents. They're figuring out their identities. Their peer groups matter so much. And so what they see on TikTok or YouTube or even the commercials that come on TV, although there are fewer commercials nowadays, depending on how you watch your TV, but advertisements, they're sending messages. And I remember when my kids were little, I would um, notice with them how few kids of color were in the shows that they would watch. And in particular, because I have two children who identify as boys, how few black boys explicitly there were in Mm -hmm. shows. And my oldest one used to get really frustrated um, because he's like, why does every black boy like live with their grandmother and have some sort of struggle? And right. Like it didn't have a basketball in their hand. Right. Mm -hmm. It didn't represent their life they, they were just like, why is it always this narrow caricature? Um, and so I just offer that because I think it's important for people to, to, to work, to separate, like, I'm a bad person from like, I've picked up a lie, a myth, misinformation.
0: Yep. I agree. And there's a practice in the book by Cyrus Siddiqui, who wrote, um, critical, uh, media literacy with your children. And so right. Syra talks, and Syrah identifies as Western Asian and identifies, particularly from their family's experience, how many times Western Asian, Middle Eastern folks are represented in children's media as the villain, either through their accent, through their clothing. And so there's a practice that talks about um, the good guys versus the villains. And same to what you're saying of noticing with your children, four, five, six, I was just in um dc last week doing some work and i had kobe with me because we were opting out of high stakes testing or he's opting out of it and um i just like i'm working he's watching all of this television and i just end up having to turn and say kobe remind me what our expectations are for television and then he could like go back to what they were and i said and is this show upholding those expectations and he knew no and I said, tell me three ways this show is upholding stereotypes, right? And like he, at, by nine, is able to like say, okay, the black girl, the one black girl who doesn't actually get to be a main character, but is the hardworking person that's basically doing all of the work, solving all of the crimes in the background, using technology is like sassy, doing all of the work. And the two heroes are two blonde hair, um, one is a white boy and one is a white man, and both of them are kind of like silly, goofy, can't really figure out even how to put shoes on, but yet they're the superheroes in the TV show. And so it's like, Kobe, tell me three ways this is upholding us, like three stereotypes. Okay, so do you need me to open up the Notes app and show you some of the shows we've already talked about that you can watch? Or do you want to find? He's like, okay, I'll find something else. I'm like, thank you. Because this isn't it.
1: No. Yeah. No, and even just that's modeling for me um and for others, right uh, the fact that we can hold our kids accountable, right, and that we we can help them do the work themselves, like we don't have to constantly be scolding or shake wagging a finger right he like you said, he knew, and you had set standards and expectations, and you know they try
0: <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's
1: our job yes, to be just like. like-
0: Just like they're going to try it with like a third snack before dinner or they're going to try it with dessert when you're like, okay, you can have two scoops of ice cream and somehow two scoops turned into four scoops. And I don't know what scooper you're now using. (laughs) They're going to they're going to try it. And I think I hear that, too, from caregivers of like, oh, like I got this question back to back. And it was a very similar question. And it was something like I have a tween. And I want them to read more books by authors of color or I want them to read more books um, about like loving friendships that are like platonic friendships and not um, this was a a child who identifies as a girl, but not like a romantic love story. Right. So she's like, how do I get my child to do that? And, you know, first I'm like, well, are you modeling Are those stories you're listening to? You can pop it on an audio book in the car. And the mom's like, yeah, I'm doing all of that. And she still won't pick it up. And I'm like, okay, then you just make it a rule. And she's like, well, I don't think she's going to like it. I'm like, you know, I remember when my child didn't like to brush their teeth and we still did it yeah, because those are things that help us. And so it's also just making those clear non-negotiables. And it's about balance. I'm noticing you're reading a lot of these books. Let's have a balanced diet. And let's actually say we believe in diversity or we believe in inclusion, we believe in anti-racism, you know, what your thing is, and then how do you back that up in your home to make sure you have an action that goes along with it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I also get you're you're so right. Cause I think about that in our house, it's around like chores getting completed without having to be asked, vegetables being eaten without having to be prompted. You know, every kid has their thing yep. that they'll push. Um, but I know COVID made me really tired. Like I felt like I was constantly redirecting about everything. And they were really wearing me down. Uh so I just want to name that and call that out for other parents. Just to be like, and we're all tired. Um, and like you said, if we believe in something, if we hold something as a value, even if we fall off and and don't uphold it to the extent that we want to, like that doesn't mean we have to give up, right? Like get back up again. Think about because I know for my Oldest, I had kind of backed off in terms of telling him what to read because he was older. Mm -hmm. Um, But I wanted him to still have a have know a little bit of like that library of of like literature by black folks. And so I was like, I think it's time for him to read *Things Fall Apart*. Like, I really think it's time. Yeah. And I got it. We went to the bookstore. We bought it. I didn't force him to read it. I was like, let's just see if he picks it up. (gasps) He finally starts it and then school started. Guess what book they started reading in school? Things fall apart. Yep. <laughs> and for me, it was just that reminder of like, okay, you were right, Kira. He was time. Mm-hmm. It was time. He was ready. And like, stop second guessing yourself uh, and find, you know, ways to to get that back in his routine. And the school supported me yeah. and helped me in that case.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. And I agree with you. I, mean, I think, uh, And even for us, like even for my own work that I'm doing for myself, especially when the pandemic happened, it was like, I am tired. I'm also exhausted. And much like you, like we both do this work professionally and personally. And so there's a whole nother level of exhaustion that can happen. And so I just try to be hyper aware of whenever that exhaustion is real and it's showing up. And I just remind myself like, Britt, just you can take a break other people are doing this work, right? You're not the only one. So you can take a break, but don't quit. Just take a break, rest, don't quit. And that's okay. And then you can pick the work back up. And so if anyone is like listening and they're like, it's been a while, it's been months, right? It's been a year. It's okay. If you've taken a break, just pick the work back up and come back.
1: Yeah. I I really am glad we both spoke to that from our own personal angles because I I get that from folks. Like, I was doing a when school was pre-COVID. When um, there was a school I was working with, we were doing the raising equity curriculum, and this one parent in particular was like, "You know, Dr. Banks, like, I just need you in my pocket, like, and I'm just not you, and so I basically like I can't do this because I'm not you." And I'm like, "But you get Mm. to make your own version. You get to do your own riff on it, your own variation, and it doesn't have to sound like me. And you'll get stronger as you keep practicing. And so just that idea that like I think people see folks who do this work and are like, I can't do it if I don't do it like that. And it's like, that's so yeah. not true. Just do what you can do, your sphere, and just keep growing. Keep stepping. Yes. I, I just
0: should... today. Oh, go no, ahead, No, no, go,
1: go, go on, because you might be going where I was going. Because you just actually well... preempted my other question, with because I was going to ask about kind of like how you're, what this is looking like with your kids lately, so.
0: Yeah, well, I was going to say to, to that point, Point Just today, the Slow Factory, and if anyone's not following the Slow Factory on Instagram, highly recommend that account. It's incredible. Their focus really is on um, slow fashion over fast fashion. Um, but they have a really inclusive social justice platform. And just today they were talking about the different roles in justice work. So like the designer, the problem solver, the activist, the advocate, the visionary, and had all of these different roles along with definitions. And I was reading that and it was so helpful for me to have language to first locate myself, to be like, okay, this is what I'm doing and this is what I'm not doing. And then I can sit with why. And like, is it realistic um, for me to be a visionary? And to be quite honest, it's not realistic to be a visionary. I don't think that I Naturally have those talents, nor am I going to like learn those skills. However, it is really realistic for me to be an advocate, right? I naturally have those talents of advocacy I think it's many teachers do. Um, and those are the skills and which I'm like learning and I'm constantly practicing too. So kind of want to just offer that graphic that they posted and then also that account. But your question of like, how am I doing this with my um, children? So gosh, the book is full of examples and activities that I've done with my children over the years, which was really fun to write and remember because I forgot a lot of what I've been doing. Most recently this month, we were working with our younger child on, it is Asian American Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander month. And so this month we were really working on building awareness language, identifying different regions, talking about the um, languages that are spoken there or that have been spoken there, uh, locating places on the map, and then also talking about specific anti-Asian racism. Like, what is, you know, some specific tropes, the othering, um, the not American enough, and how do we identify that? So that's something I'm working on recently with my children. Uh, Other things that's, and the book that are just constants, too, are always looking for small actions we can take as a family. It's going to be low cost, no cost, um, and things that can be sustainable. So filling out books at our local lending library, um, using the library, the public library, instead of buying books for our children, um, supporting uh, local businesses. Um, we love, love, love to support like local coffee shops and donut shops whenever we can, so always trying to choose something that's local and independent over a chain again, whenever we can. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think what some am- other things we do Like, our- Go ahead. What about with the
1: recent mass shootings? Like that's been something I know for us, I, we, we didn't have a conversation when it happened because mm-hmm. I don't know what was going on that weekend, but that, That next day, I checked in with my youngest and I said, you know, what, what was the conversation around the latest shooting in Buffalo in particular, and also highlighting shooting in California and right, like just to name that there are multiple race, race race-based violence that was happening. And uh, he said, well, they covered it in the CNN 10 or something like that, like the 10 minute news that they watch. And I said, okay, well, was there any discussion about it or like conversation? What was said? Was there any talk? And nothing.
0: Wow. So it
1: was interesting to me that it was like out there, but there was no meaning making. There was no connecting the dots. And so he and I spent some time talking about it a bit. And just in terms of like, I framed it around myths and lies that this, this young man had been fed mm-hmm. and the unfortunate, right? Like, so we talked a little bit about it from that perspective. Um, but it's 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 interesting to me. Like the, I feel like there's so many current events going on. It's hard to like keep up with what they're how they're making sense of it, and it it feels like to me there's some choices that I've made of like, all right, I'm we we're just gonna talk about basketball tonight. Like I'm not gonna go heavy yeah. here just to make some decisions, um, but then also like, oh, yeah. is that a missed opportunity? Because I don't know what's in their head around this. So I'm just curious how you've been having conversations with your kids with so much happening that's racialized.
0: Yes. I mean, definitely thinking about uh, the shooting that happened with the Black community in Buffalo, I immediately had a conversation with our 15-year-old that night that I saw it happen for a couple reasons. One, I knew that our 15-year-old um, had uses the social media platform Twitch for video games, and so because the um, terrorist had uploaded it to that platform, even though they said it was only live for two minutes, that's two minutes too long. And I wanted to get ahead of that. So, like after I read the story and I found that information, I was like, okay, I'm gonna have to talk to him about it. And I also know, like you said, for teenagers, they are turning more outward, and their social groups play a huge role. And I know that their social groups are sharing things. They share links, they share, um, they're in group chats. And so just in case, because that was a viral video, just in case it was shared with him, I wanted to get ahead of it. So we had talked about that one um, and definitely you know, framed it of a terrorist had went, a white terrorist had went into a black community to cause harm intentionally and that it was, Thoughtful, intentional, and planned out. Um, but I didn't want to necessarily, for this conversation, focus on the details of that. I really wanted to focus on, first and foremost, what's our expectations about watching violence in that way, and just remind him. And then say, and if you do end up watching it, because sometimes when you're on social media, you scroll and things happen before you meant for it to happen, or someone shares a link, or Kids are curious, right? And sometimes I do seek things out. I said, you know, if you do watch it, will you tell me? So I really wanted to focus on that. And then the other part that I want to focus on, which was just an ongoing conversation, is the radicalization that's happening. Um, my children both identify as boys, too, black boys, but the radicalization that's happening with white boys. Um, as far as like indoctrinating and bringing them into uh, neo-Nazi and white supremacist groups. But I also think for black boys, it's the radicalization of misogyny. And so those two can go hand in hand. And I've, I've seen some of his gamer chats. And so me having those ongoing conversations of like, okay, what are these, you know, emojis or icons of frogs like. What are those about? What are the origins of those? Like, I want you to research that. I want you to know what all of these, like, chads and all of this kind of coded language, just like A-bar has its own nomenclature um, of language, so does the patriarchy, so does white supremacy. What? Wait, I don't know the chads. Okay, so the a chad, do you know how there's, like, Karens? And we're like, oh, she's a Karen. Oh, yes, right? like, he's a chad. There's, so there's a Chad, but it's used in a different way. Okay. So for Dude Chads, for, they can identify themselves as a Chad. And so as a Chad, it's a um, 20-something, maybe 30-something white man who really feels that they've gotten slighted by society, that they're not the best looking, they don't have like a wonderful body. And so they then are entitled to cause harm to other people particularly good-looking women because good-looking women are going to look over them. But so there's like this entire nomenclature of language, of um, uh, icons, of emojis that like I have been trying to read and understand to give Carter those tools and skills. So even though they're not trying to pull him in a neo-Nazi group, right, I still also don't want him to pick up misogyny or misogynoir language ideas. And those two can overlap. So I think that's really interesting. You know, parenting black kids were like, Oh, I don't necessarily have to know those kind of details, but we do. We do. We do. Is
1: that, is that kind of a, a short version, a shortcut for like the incel? Yes. Okay.
0: Yep. Okay. Yep. All of that. And there's I can share it. I'll share it with you on Instagram. And then that way you can share either in the show notes or you can put it on your own Instagram. But there was a great graphic um, that I've used in order to help. Like I literally was like, Carter, read this and then ask me a question. Okay. And then it was like the next one. Read this, ask me a question. And then that's how we started the conversation. You read it, ask me a question, let's chat. Okay, let's read the next one together. Ask me a question, let's chat. Okay that's helpful. I would love that.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the, the bridge that you're taking there in terms of reminding folks, like both of us talk a lot about anti-racist parenting and we understand that anti-racism is not, and racism I should say is not siloed. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's that intersectionality that talks about like who's lost at the margins, but we have to think about like even though our boys are impacted by racism negatively, right? Like they have, like you said, immunity rather than privilege, if you want to think about it in that way. Yeah. Being for my kids, cisgendered boys. And I we talk a lot about consent, a lot about misogyny, a lot, because I want them to be boys who understand the larger dynamics and implications of their role and positionality in society. And so I I just offer that because our kids are all of our kids have multiple identities and Mm -hmm. their identities, the landscape of their identities really does shape kind of some of the conversations we have about them. Often we want to go to those aspects of their identity where they are impacted by oppression because we want to care for them and protect them. And I think it's also our responsibility to make sure they understand the privileges that they have because of the ways in which maybe they have an identity that that has historically been advantaged in our society. So it's a real both and.
0: It really is. It really is. And that's a big focus, too, like in the book. Um, And I remember I got a little pushback from the publisher. We have a practice in there about introducing pronouns and then how to help your child if um, they did misgender someone, like how to repair harm. And the publisher was like, oh, do you think you're getting a little out of the scope of, you know, anti-racist work? And so I was, um, you know, trying to think of the right word. It was important that the publisher pushed back on that because then it reminded me to say, oh, yes, I forgot to put in the book that liberation should never be exclusionary or conditional. Yes. Right. It's not about you only hold one marginalized identity. But then all your other identities are dominant. And now you all of a sudden then get liberation, right? It's about people who have intersecting identities, regardless if they are a marginalized or dominant identity. Everyone deserves liberation in every way, shape and form. So when I saw that comment from the editor, I was like, oh, okay. actually, let me let me put this in the book, because I bet other people are also like, why are there? Pronouns, or why, do, why is Brett talking about fat phobia or like food deserts? What does that have to do with anti racism? So, all of that is included in the book. Awesome. Awesome. That, I think that does model for folks
1: without having to like preach, right? Like, these are connected. These are connected. Climate justice connected to racism. Yes. All of these, all of the isms, right, are connected in some way. And it, it's not, I don't think, worth our time to play professional Olympics to be like, who has it worse? but your point around like liberation for us all. And I am consistently reminded when we solve for the oppression and we really do center the experience of a group that's, that's oppressed in some way, we often end up making the environment and space better for all more liberating oh. for everyone. Right? So people often talk about the curb cut, the curb cut story with curb cuts and, and making the, the sidewalk more accessible so that folks who have, any sort of device can get up the curb, right? But that also helps us in all Mm -hmm. sorts of ways. And so accessibility isn't just something we do for someone who has a disability. We really do it for all of us, but we can center the experience of those who are most impacted to inform, to understand the experience. Um, But I I really think it's important for us to not think about we're doing it for someone. We're really doing Mm -hmm. it for the liberation of us all.
0: That's right. That's right. I love that. So I usually say I do this work for myself with my children, but I love your saying I do this work for us all. Right. Like even just like that little bit of that kind of, I think of that as like very inclusive, right. Of Like who am I bringing in into my circle with me? Um, And the more, the wider that I can bring my circle, the more people I can fit in is like, that is, you know, the basis of being inclusive Um, and because it's an invisible circle, it can literally be as big as I make it (laughs) right. It's only my imagination is going to limit it. And so I just always try to think about, hmm, who else can I include? Who else can I include?
1: Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I wanted to think about, um, one of the other topics that I wanted to ask is why this work, right? Like, you were a teacher, you know, you, you still are a teacher just in a different way. Um, whether it's through your consulting work or through your online platforms, but what pulled you to really dedicate your career to anti-racism?
0: Yeah. So, um, two things I will say first and foremost, it was Montessori for social justice. I had just moved from Illinois to Texas teaching and things in Texas are done differently than in Illinois, just as any state, right? I don't think it's because it is Texas. I think because every state in education is really so different. So I was trying to find my people. I was trying to look for, find a community. And I found Montessori for Social Justice. And just hearing the conversations that people were having, watching the lessons that other people were doing, I was like, wow, I want to do that too. It energized me. And so I started volunteering and I started to really gain a beautiful community of friends, of folks who I admired. I love the ways in which they showed up all very differently. But they all showed up as their most authentic self. And so, as I was engaged more and more in that community as a, in a volunteer capacity, so I volunteered with Montessori for social justice for three years, um, I started to then become my most authentic self. And every day I started to wake up just loving myself a little bit more because, you know, just practicing that self love, practicing the ways in which I'm feeling comfortable and confident with who I am and the way that I show up in the world. And then from there, um, anti racist work really started to become healing work for me. And I started to heal things that I had no idea because I didn't have an adult like you in my life growing up to say, like, wow, that was racist and that was their problem. I grew up with the idea of that was racist and that's my problem and I need to figure out how to make them comfortable with me. I need to figure out how I can, you know, just be nicer, kinder, um, thinner, smarter, uh, a people pleaser, whatever I needed to do. Right. So that I can, I don't know, get there wherever there was. That's how I grew up. And so anti-racism ended up becoming really healing work for that. I used to be like, you know what, that's unfair. And that's also not my problem. I have told you that it is unfair. I have given you language for why that is unfair. And I've told you the group that it's harming. And now I am going to go ahead and back away. Right. And like that was so amazing and incredible and freeing. And it allowed me to focus on me. It allowed me to focus on my children and on my community and on my loved ones. Instead of trying to fix other people's problems who, to be quite honest, they were not really interested in fixing, were they? No. And so... <laughs> they they're not they're just like oh can we have one more book one more thing and then i was like you know what it's not me it is a system that is operating that is happening and so those two things both um through finding a really genuine authentic community and then also it being really healing work um for myself that is why i've i've i got into it but i've also stayed into it because i'm still always learning I'm learning about things I have picked up and I'm like, oh. and I love being in loving relationships with people and anti-racism allows me to do that. It allows me to be in those loving relationships um, and not, yeah, practice ignorance. Because at this point, like my friend Antonia says, at this point, ignorance is a choice. <laughs> so I, I choose, I choose knowledge. Right.
1: Well, and I want folks to really hear what you're saying right that this was work that it wasn't like you knew this was your life's work all along that you in a way came to in community and so i want folks to to think about where where they get to practice wh- who they get to practice with because we all have to practice being our authentic selves and Mm-hmm. and figuring out what it means to push up against systems of oppression in our own lives, in our own families, and then in our spheres of influence. And so I really appreciate you sharing with us today, not only your book, but also a little bit of your story, because I want people to 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 think about where they can start from where they are. So what community are you going to engage in? Is, is that community going to allow you to be authentic? Uh do you, are you able to like make mistakes and learn? Are you able to, to see this not as your thing to fix, but to really understand like the landscape of, of each other's stuff, but work together. Um, that to me is a beautiful thing that I think sometimes we like long for, but don't quite know how to create. And so I also want to highlight the fact that you said you were volunteering with this organization for three years, right? So it takes time. And so like, I I think it's remarkable worth noting that we're coming up on the second anniversary of George Floyd's murder. And so many people talk about that moment as like a flashpoint moment, the racial reckoning, however you want to see it, wherever it was in your life. There were many of us who were like, unfortunately, this is par for the course. Yet Mm -hmm. there were floodgates that were opened in terms of awareness at that moment and i i've i imagine you have too worked with different organizations that are like frustrated that we haven't made more progress or that you know we've fallen back into bad habits and i don't mean to be negative but like it's only been 2 years like keep working keep exploring yeah. keep pushing um pick up britt's book to learn how Yay. to <laughs> engage in anti-racist parenting and let's continue to be in community together learn together yeah
0: I would love that. I would love if folks like, I just want to be in community as my most authentic self, not being performative, right? And also wanting to be in community to learn. Yeah. Right? I think that's not yeah, not to like show up, not necessarily be the leader, not necessarily like to be like, I'm the expert. Cause even myself, I whenever anyone calls me an expert, I'm always like, well, I just know some things. And there's other folks that also know some things. And I tend to work with those folks. We come together and then we know a lot of things, right? Um, And there's that uh, agreement that is often said in anti-racist courses that alone, I know a little, but together we know a lot. And so that's just a really beautiful idea of like being in community Um, is that, yeah, together we can be experts.
1: Yeah. Well, I'm so honored that you're in my community. Really love it. Love you, your work. And, you know, it's not the first time you, you're on the podcast and it won't be the last, but I so appreciate you coming on to, to really kind of ramp up press around the book, folks grab the book and follow Britt on it. Well, let, let me let you say how they should follow you.
0: Yeah. Um, definitely follow me on Instagram at Britt Hawthorne. And you also can subscribe to my weekend newsletter. I only send emails out on the weekend. And those are full of just additional strategies, um, scripts, and tips that a lot of it did make it into the book. So now you're getting some behind the scenes in your weekend newsletter. You can go to my website, hawthorne.com to subscribe. Lovely.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us, Britt, and thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next time on Raising Equity.